suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Ah, oh, we're already getting some tough chat in the chat room. John says we're 63 seconds late. Watley's there meerkatting patiently. That's what you need to do, John. Be meerkatting patiently. All right, maybe we're 63 seconds late, but we're, you know, better late than never. Here we are. The Iron Fist, the Velvet Glove and Jay the Tech Guy doing a podcast where we're going to talk about news and politics and sex and religion on a Monday night, 8 o'clock Brisbane time. I'm in Brisbane. Joe's in Brisbane. And Scott, you're in regional Queensland. How are you, Scott? I'm good, thanks, Trevor. And yourself? I am well. I'm a little yeah, bit sore, good. but I am well. You're a little bit sore. Why? What have yeah. you done to yourself? I was in a squash competition, a master's squash competition over the weekend, and I had right. four very, very hard games of squash. Mm. I could barely walk on Monday morning getting down the stairs, but it was enjoyable. How'd you go? Good. I came second in Division 1. That was pretty right. good. Yeah, That's I was good. pretty pleased with that. So mm. um, you tell people that you're a squash player and they go, what? Well, they still play squash. Yeah, so some old people still do. Joe, the tech guy, how are you? I'm good. That's good. John has uh, joined us. Or, yeah, John and Watley are there, so it's good. Uh, got your message, John. Yes, um, last week I think I mentioned about Joe Biden and how he was escaping liability for having a stash of classified documents on the basis of being so senile nobody would believe that he intended to do it. And the guys at uh, the Planet Extra podcast did an exhaustive, lengthy, forensic examination of the report, which in the end says there's a lot more to it than that. In fact, proving even had control of documents the way it was alleged was in doubt. So there's a lot more to it than what I said. If you, and if you want to know the full story go and watch that Planet Extra podcast, but... Uh, well, and of added... course, his bribes he was taking. The, the, the witness to taking the bribes apparently has now been charged with bearing false witness. Oh, okay. By the FBI. I see, I haven't got to that part. So, yeah, if you're at a dinner party on that particular topic, dear listener, and you just say, oh, it was all about his senility and uh, proving his intent... Uh, it's a lot more than that. So don't rely on the Iron Fist Velvet Glove facts for that. But uh, on most things we've been pretty good, but that one maybe just um, change your thoughts on that one a little bit. Um, guys, next week, one of the things they do on the PEP sort of podcast is they kick off with what they're grateful for, just as a way of getting some positive good vibes at the beginning because invariably they and we head down a track of just bemoaning what's going on in the world. So maybe next week, if we could be prepared to have something you're grateful for, it could be baby Jesus. Yes, it could be baby Jesus. It could be something on a worldwide scale or something on a very minuscule scale where you 
happen to have a fine cup of coffee presented to you that morning. I don't care, but let's just try and have something positive uh, for next time. So, um, so there we go. Essential Lord Don is in the chat room as well. Well, what are we going to talk about uh, on this episode? Kind of following on the theme of previous episodes, just looking a little bit at how the public is misled, either by the media or by political parties. Um, we've got Navalny. Um, was he murdered? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, Apparently there was a window that he fell out of. Yeah. Julian Assange, uh, support for nuclear power. That might interest you, John Simmons. Um, bit about China, a um, bit about Muslims in India, a bit about the cases that Trump is facing and just the sort of timetable on those. Joe found an article about why UK youth are so disgruntled and disenchanted with um, life and particularly political leaders. And oh, I came across from an article from the ABC, which is really about China setting up some humble research stations on Antarctica and just beaten up into a potential, this is how they're going to control the world, watch out for those nasty Chinese, they're taking over Antarctica because of a terrible plot against Western civilization sort of story. Anyway, we'll get to that one. Um, yeah, see how we go. So that's on the agenda. Um, right. Um, just on the media, and we mentioned, well, it might have been last week or the week before, just about how the media has used different words when describing Israel's actions as opposed to the Palestinian actions. You might remember that, you know, massacre and, and um, uh, harsh words like that were reserved for what had been done to Israel and much softer words were used. Um, people's, um, people were found dead um, when it came to uh, what Israelis had done to Palestinians, whereas Palestinians were actually murdering people. Like the, the nature of the sort of words were different. And there was just uh, an article in the Washington Post. The headline was, Four Fragile Lives Found Ended in Evacuated Gaza Hospital. Um, Apparently they changed that headline not long after it was originally printed, but, uh, yeah, instead of saying four young kids murdered by Israeli bombs, it was four fragile lives found ended in evacuated Gaza hospital. So that's the sort of subtle sort of um, thought massaging that just goes on if you're not on the lookout for it. Um, another type of... Thought massaging. This one was from the UK. So, Joe, conservatives are really on the nose over there in the UK. You don't have to be there, I guess, to know that's the case. So, I just saw a Jonathan Pye today that was saying Rishi Sunak telling everyone he's he's delivering, uh, but delivering what? And the answer is a recession. Apparently, the UK is now in recession ah, after 14 you. years of conservative government. Is Jonathan Pye still doing stuff, is he? He is, yes. Oh, I haven't seen any for ages. Somehow I must have slipped off his page because, yeah. So so there's a Tory, the Tory chairman is Richard Holden. 
and he defended a misleading video that the Tory party had put on their X account, their Twitter account. And it was a clip by, um, it was a clip involving... Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan, yes. He's the mayor of London. Mm. Yes. And um, he said in the sort of an interview, he said, quote, as far as I'm concerned, that sort of language isn't acceptable and it certainly shouldn't be accepted in a party like mine that is proud to be both anti-racist and anti-Semitic. And so, of course, he misspoke by saying that his party is proud to be anti-Semitic. And he straight away quickly corrected himself and said, I beg your pardon, tackling anti-Semitism. So it was just a, I mean, I've done a lot on this podcast where I've referred to the wrong thing Mm. or the complete opposite to what I meant to say. And he kind of, dear listener, cut me some slack and go, oh, he was actually referring to this rather than that. You know, it was just a, a mistake. People make them. But the goddamn conservative Tory party clipped the part where he said uh, his party is proud to be anti-racist and anti-Semitic, chopped it off there and ran, um, you know, a tweet um, uh, basically to demonstrate that the Labor Party has a, has a problem when it comes to Jews, completely misleading people as to what the guy was actually saying. And the chairman when pulled up by reporters, was saying, oh, you know, it was edited, but we didn't rearrange anything. He actually said those things, so it's all good. This this is the level. This isn't some crazy two-bit party of wacky... Well, you say that. Well, yeah. (laughs) 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 That's what they they are now. Like, that's not a legitimate, serious... Group anymore. The you know the UK Tory Party is prepared to do something as misleading as that. You can't trust anything they say about anybody. I'm shocked. I tell you. Are you though? I am. Like that's just so cheap and so open to ridicule. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Apparently well, I don't blame you, but by the same token, I'm not surprised that that sort mm. of shit has started to happen. It's, it's a, I don't know that this is necessarily a new thing, taking people out of context or misquoting them. Yeah. No, but they've actually gone and doctored a video and that sort of stuff and then re-released it. Yeah, and they say it wasn't doctored because they just cut it off at that point. And didn't yeah, rearrange is, any of the words, but yes. by taking it out of the context. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So many things in life that we examine on this podcast, dear listener, you need to know some of the background context to sort of understand where you're at and why things have happened, some of the historical context. In that case, it was just a context about communication and um, very, very misleading by the Conservative Party. And um, James O'Brien, I was going to play the clip, but it's a bit long. He found one where um, Richie, Richie Sunak was with a group of schoolboys and they were obviously referring to soft drink, but he said to the schoolboys, yes, I'm addicted to Coke, to- totally addicted to Coke. 
James O'Brien was saying, well, there you go. He's a drug addict. He's addicted to coke. What more do you need to know? Like we could just be running ads saying that mm-hmm. if what you've mm-hmm. said is acceptable. And there were other examples where uh, people had made. So uh, had he put this to the MP involved? Uh, a reporter did to okay. the chairman of the Tory party and um, and said it's misinformation. It portrays something inaccurate to people online. And the guy replied, it highlights an issue of anti-Semitism at the heart of the Labor Party and it's not been edited, it's been clipped. And the reporter said, that's exactly the same thing. And the chairman said, no, it's actually quite different. And um, and he just fobbed it off. Mm. Yes. Yeah. We, we've never been at war with Eurasia. Yes. Indeed. 1984, we've up to the uh, yes. 40th anniversary, I think, was this week, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Navalny. That guy had a death wish, didn't he? Going back to Russia. It was, with the benefit of hindsight, a foolish thing for him to do. You know, he went back there with a former KGB agent and that sort of stuff as president. Mm. I just think to myself he was probably asking for it. You know, he was arrested when he returned and that sort of thing and then they, they got him in prison and now he's suddenly collapsed and died. You know, and I bet you bottom dollar there'll be no autopsy or anything like that. He's probably already been cremated. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, the family have been searching for his body and his body has disappeared and nobody's quite sure where it's got to. So mm. he's been cremated, right? So. Yeah. Just, you know, you know it's, he, was, he was alive and living in a different country and he voluntarily went back. I know. Yeah. Immediately arrested and thrown into the jail. I just... I, what did, he, it just, he went back allegedly because he loved his country and he wanted to rescue his country from the grips of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, yeah I don't so think do it from in the country. No. It's one of those things because anyone that comes along that's going to be a credible threat to Vladimir Putin is going to find himself in prison. Yeah. You know, it's... Very brave or very stupid or both, but... Um, I think he's probably very crazy brave, you yeah. know, doing it. Yeah. I have some close friends who are from Russia and I'm glad they got out. Yeah, mm. exactly. You know, it's one of those things. It's um, um, uh, anyway. I wouldn't want to be still living there, mm. No, you know. I'm not sure that Navalny was um, a saint either. Like, he just read no, different he, things, his association <laughs> with Nazis and stuff. He knows where the truth lies in all that stuff, but he had some unsavoury... Incidents, probably. If he's human, yeah. he almost certainly. But yeah, I mean, who, and also for who Russia, hasn't had a dinner party with a group of Nazis, and yeah. yeah but when you when yeah. you when you are Russian and that sort of thing, you've got to realise yeah. that um, your democracy is only as old as Russia itself, which is what twenty or thirty years or something like that since the um, end of the mm. end of the uh, Cold oh, War. Like a, the d- democracy was there for about five years before it disappeared. Yeah, I know it was, and it's just one of those things. It's um, democracy's overrated. So it's, no, it's not overrated. Right. <laughs> I I think there's there's levels, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, there's, there's there's Julian Assange, who is in Belmarsh Prison, who is about to be put on a show trial, 
And then there's Navalny, who was taken off to the Arctic Circle and then died in mysterious circumstances. Mm. Mm. I, I, I think there are levels. Neither are good, mm. but, but I, I would suggest that Russia is considerably worse. Who was the American guy who um, was involved with all the celebrities with um, sex with underage girls who um, was in a prison in America and, and died of... Suicide oh, in strange Epstein. circumstances. Who was um, that? Uh, Epstein. Yeah, Epstein. Epstein. So, you know, a lot of people said about that, did he really commit suicide? You know, it was very convenient for a lot of people that he died. It was very what, convenient what, for a lot of senior people, what, yes. What would you think has been the case with him, with Epstein? Epstein, Epstein, whatever. You, you know, there's a fair chance that he was bumped off by powerful people as well. Yeah, there was. So, you know, it's and that was in a democracy. Yeah, but so even Donald Trump, would he be that stupid to do something like that? Potentially. Well, 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 it's a pretty strong chance that something happened to Yes, but is Donald yeah. Trump in prison currently on Trump on trumped up charges and likely to die under mysterious circumstances? No, he's not. <laughs> Well, Epstein wasn't the opposition, wasn't the opposition no, leader. Mean, exactly. Yeah, but he was a person who was an uncomfortable for a number of powerful people to have alive. So, and it would be very easy in a prison. Yeah. So all I'm doing up. is just pointing out that we can sit here and go, oh, you know, those Russians who don't have democracies allowing this sort of shit to happen. We really, you know, like I say, you don't I have to look too far and you find level. something similar. What's it? I think it's a different level. Yeah. I agree. It's one of those things. It's just um, it is a very different thing that's happening. Assange is being treated very badly, but there's no chance of him. There's no chance of him dying other than by his own hand. What about Epstein, though? Well, Epstein, I don't know. It's one of those things. Was he actually murdered? Potentially. Yeah. Do I actually believe that the royal family had anything to do with it? No, I don't. You know. So I, I think if another prisoner had arranged it, they would quite possibly. Sorry, you just faded out a bit then. Uh, I said if uh, another prisoner in in Epstein's prison had uh, caused an accident, then I think they'd be rather well off. Hmm. I, I think there were a lot of vested interests who might well have been willing to pay money. Whether yeah. that happened or not, I don't know, but yeah, it would certainly have been convenient. Yeah. So I guess it might have been another prisoner bumped off Navalny, like you never know. Ah. Well, um, Navalny was obviously poisoned, mm. you know. Mm. So, all right, uh, that's Navalny, murdered almost certainly, one would mm. think, but... Um, Still on Russia, um, there's talk about a growing push amongst some Western nations, including the US, to use Russian assets that they froze at the beginning of the war to fund Ukraine's military. And there's a plan circulating that could see around uh, $300 billion US dollars worth of Russian assets currently frozen in the West uh, being seized and handed over to Ukraine. That's the talk. That'd be a good idea, Scott. Uh, no, because I think Russia would seize assets that belong to Western governments and that sort of stuff in Russia. Yes, so, that's true. 
So I just I, think to myself that the payback wouldn't be worth it. I read something that said something like that, that uh, there's probably an equivalent amount of Western assets in Russia that they would simply then say, ah, oh, all this handy mining equipment and whatever you've got here and other yeah, industrial stuff, we'll yeah. seize that. Thank you very much. So, uh, so that could happen. Um, uh, Russia will just become more self-reliant. And the other thing, of course, is that other countries will lose faith in things like US bonds and other investments that the US could confiscate. So um, the way Venezuela's assets were seized certainly scared off a number of people. And I think the Germans who owned gold in... Um, is it Fort Knox? It's, like mm, I would have thought so. That's uh, where their that's where their main um, gold reserves are. Countries like Germany said, you know, that gold that we've got in America, we should probably bring it back over here, just in case we do something they don't like and they decide to confiscate our gold. So, I think um, I think it'd be a risky move in that other countries will start to worry about investing in. It's one of those things, it sounds like a very good idea when you first read it, but then you actually got to think about it and you think, Mm. well, Russia could then pinch everything that belongs to us over there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I don't think, I don't, I I honestly think it's probably in a half a thought bubble that a Republican has dreamed up and that sort of stuff because he doesn't want to spend any US dollars on the um, Ukraine war. Sorry? Reparations are not something new. Mm. Germany well, was crippled with reparations. Mm. That led to the Second World War. Yes. Mm. Mm. Went, yeah. Uh, apparently the guy pushing the idea is the guy who pushed for the Majinsky um, laws, which were the ones where, say, Western governments could um, basically confiscate the assets of, of leading players in totalitarian governments and seize their personal assets and not allow them to travel and things like that. So it was the guy behind promoting those laws that is promoting this idea of seizing Russian assets. Anyway, uh, skipping back to Julian Assange. So this one came from you, uh, Joe, is that right? Mm-hmm. About You want to tell people what that guy's idea is? Sorry, which one? The, the guy with the, the artist, switch. the artist in France. Oh, I see. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I hadn't realised that I had shared it. Yeah. Um. So an artist has decided to lock up a bunch of uh, fairly valuable paintings in a safe, along with some acid. And um, if Assange dies in prison, generally under mysterious circumstances, the paintings that are in that safe will be destroyed by acid. Hmm. So and he says this is trying to reflect on people that a human life is worth more than this valuable art. We get so upset at the thought of the art being destroyed. Um, but really, not not just a human life. I, I did have a big discussion with an online group who were, he's a rapist, he deserves anything that comes to him, fuck him, mm. Uh, mm. without realising that this is actually quite an important precedence around the freedom of the press. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the important point here is whatever you think of him as a human being, it's a scary thought as far as press freedoms are concerned. Yeah. So apparently he claims to have $45 million worth of art and um, 
Yeah, there's a dead man switch. So there's a 24-hour countdown timer which gets reset before it reaches zero to prevent the corrosive substance from being released into the vault. And the timer is reset when someone close to Assange confirms he is still alive in prison each day. So it does sound very so, Bond-esque, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it really sounds like something out of a, no doubt, inspired by a movie. But the idea that this clock is just ticking down mm. and somebody has to get in and say, yes, he's still alive, and then it resets, and that's got to be done every 24 hours. And apparently some significant <laughs> artwork um, re- Artwork by Rembrandt, Picasso and Andy Warhol. And uh, it's been donated by different people who have, uh, a few of whom have confirmed, yes, I've donated a Rembrandt and I'm not telling you which one it was, but he does he does have it. So yep. seems legit. Interesting. Well, sounds legit of- and that sort of stuff. It's just one of those things. It's... Um- yeah. You know, if we can take it back and everything like that, he was originally arrested for, well, he was originally facing extradition to Sweden, but the reason why he ducked into the um, Ecuadorian embassy was because Sweden wouldn't guarantee that he wouldn't be sent to the US, Mm. which I don't know. It's one of those things that those original charges were quite vile and all that sort of stuff. So... Yeah. Anyway, mm. I just think to myself, if he hadn't have actually interfered in the US elections and all that sort of stuff, if he hadn't have if he hadn't have released all those emails and everything else that um, Hillary had, then he probably wouldn't have he probably wouldn't have attracted so much attention because you know you got the Republicans that want to hang him, and then you got the Democrats also want to hang him. Although bizarrely, it was under Trump, and sorry, it was under Trump that the extradition was um, was ordered. Hmm. And um, that was after Trump benefited from those emails. Yeah, I know, which doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. It's just one of those things. One would hope that um, they will see sense and that they will actually call off the dogs and that sort of stuff. And yeah. It's it one just... of those things. He has been awarded a um, some type of award for his journalism and that sort of stuff. Yeah, he won a major Australian journalism award. He's definitely a journalist. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But um, it's one of those things. It's just that um, I would have thought that that should be enough that the Yanks would actually have to back down because he was a journalist. Mm. Well, well, the fact that uh, <clears throat> some valuable artwork is facing um, destruction, I, mm. don't think, I don't think it's going to worry the people who are actually making the decisions. So, no. Um, but an interesting um, arrangement there. It's almost Landon Hardbottom would be would be proud of it. I would have thought. <laughs> I, I don't know that it's going to change minds no. um, in senior decision makers. I think it mm. might bring some public attention to yeah. the fact. I can't imagine it getting a heck of a lot of extra people out there in the streets protesting because of their love of art, and they're suddenly then going to protest to save it. Just doesn't uh, make a lot of sense. Ah, moving on. There was an essential report, but you know what? There was nothing particularly interesting in it, so I'm just going to let that one go. Um, okay. So there was that one. Um, did come across one about support for um, the different uh, energy sources. This is Australia, and it was an Australian Financial Review poll, 
and sample size was a thousand, so that's good enough. And people are asked um, their support for energy sources, and eighty-four percent support solar, sixty-one percent support onshore wind, only fifty-eight percent support offshore wind. Can you think of a reason I why can't anyone would? Why wouldn't why wouldn't you be more supportive of offshore wind as opposed to onshore wind? That's what I would have thought. Because offshore wind, I think, is possibly a little more jarring, assuming it's visible from the coast. Yeah. It, there's also, something yeah, about, you know, there's something a... about looking out to sea and seeing a great big field of windmills sitting out there. Yeah. See, I've got a friend of mine that lives in Wales, and she reckons there is a noise from those wind turbines. Yeah. It's not that bad, but it is something that does, if it goes on overnight and all that sort of stuff, it possibly mm. would irritate you overnight. So I can understand why you'd want offshore wind as opposed to onshore wind. Yeah, it just surprises me that there'd be a difference between the two. Uh, Absolutely. 56% support natural gas, 47% hydrogen, only 35% John support nuclear and 33% support coal. So uh, I did people... see a conversation article, I think, talking mm. about um, hydrogen mm -hmm. as a possible fuel source. Mm. and asking people whether they supported green hydrogen or blue hydrogen. Mm. Yeah, you can see. Um, and they, rather than talking about colours, explain the difference. Basically, green hydrogen is used, is, is breaking down water into hydrogen and oxygen using excess electricity, and mm. blue hydrogen is using hydrocarbons, which gives a um, carbon dioxide. Yep. So it's still a polluter of fossil fuels. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's why you'd, if you if you're going to talk about hydrogen, you'd have to you'd have to actually talk about green hydrogen. Good point. Well, and and I think they're saying uh, a lot of people are amenable to starting on blue hydrogen and moving to green hydrogen, and mm. the sooner we you just cut out again a bit then, Joe, for some reason. Don't I? Yeah, not have been your internet or something. So, just the last few words. So yeah, that was that. Um, then speaking of, you know, political prisoners or people in totalitarian regimes being punished like it would never happen in a democracy, uh, we had um, an Australia's outcry at China's death sentence for Yang Hangzhou. And um, so a suspended death sentence was handed out to Australian Chinese pro-democracy writer Yang Hangzhong, H-E-N-G-J-U-N, however that's pronounced. How would you pronounce that, Joe? No idea. Hangzhong, something like that? I don't know. Let's just call him Yang. Yeah, well, That's um, probably his surname, isn't it, Yang? Yeah, we'll just call him Yang because that's easy. Um, so it was a secret trial in China in May 2021, and um, so it's a five-year wait for the sentence. It's illustrated the opacity of the Chinese justice system. Um, Penny Wong has indicated, um, well, according to this article, what's this article from? Oh, I didn't say where it was from, but uh, Penny Wong has indicated the hypocrisy or at least the fatal lack of self-awareness of the Australian government because she described the sentence as appalling and harrowing, saying the government would be communicating its response to Beijing in the strongest terms and that the Chinese ambassador to Australia has been summoned by the Department of Foreign Affairs. And there's speculation in this article that the particular ambassador is not shy 
and he might mention to the Australian authorities, whistleblowers like David McBride left with no choice than to plead guilty to leaking classified information, Richard Boyle, who awaits trial, Julian Assange, of course, in Belmarsh, and former pilot Daniel Duggan, who's been locked up in solitary confinement for 15 months at the behest of the US over accusations of providing military training to Chinese pilots. So it's just an example where, okay, doesn't sound great what's happened to Yang, but then people in glass houses should be careful about throwing stones or at least be aware of their own misdemeanours when they do. So kind of matches up with what we were saying earlier about Epstein and Navalny. Mm. Mm. Um, Joe. What was he originally sentenced for? Yang. Which one? Yang. What was he originally sentenced for? Was uh, he... Supposedly working against, uh, for being a spy, I think, working against China as a spy. So he was a Chinese spy and he was very outspoken. Yeah. Uh, overseas. And I think. Yeah. And he started writing fictional novels, which involved a character that seemed a lot like himself. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, another guy with a death wish because he was not in China and he went back to China after all that and got arrested. <laughs> yeah. So apparently so, his yeah. wife and child were getting yeah. their visas renewed. Yes. And so they had to leave the country, I think. And he went know. back with them. Yeah. Even though he was an Australian citizen and didn't have to. Yes. So, yeah. Right. So his wife and child were going back to China to get their visas renewed for Australia, were they? Uh, something like I that, I guess. Well, he lives yeah. in the US, but. Okay. Yeah. And he didn't have to, but he went voluntarily and just like the family got mm. swooped up upon arrival. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um. Religion. So we haven't spoken about India much lately, but uh, a bill has been um, drafted which um, will impose a common law on all Indians. It's particularly aimed at Muslims. That's what the critics say. So the Uniform Civil Code um, from Modi's Hindu government is going to force Indians of all faiths to subscribe to the same laws on marriage, divorce and inheritance, banning polygamy and giving women and men equal rights to inherit. Opponents of the law say it targets the 200 million Muslims in India. Uh, Since independence, India has allowed religious communities to follow their own laws on issues such as divorce, marriage, property rights, inheritance and child custody. And for the Muslim communities... This is governed by Sharia or Islamic law. So the bill would ban a Muslim practice called halala, in which a Muslim woman who has been divorced by her husband must marry another man, have sexual relations with him, and then divorce him if she wishes to remarry her first husband. Sharia allows a Muslim man to have more than one wife, so he may do so under Indian law. If a Hindu or Christian man takes a second wife, he is guilty of Bigamy. So, um, so there we go. India forcing Muslims to abide by a common set of laws. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I've got absolutely no problem with that at all. Mm. It, it's almost certainly driven by the BJP. 
Yeah, it is. Hatred of Islam. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I have no problems with, I mean, it should never have happened in the first place Mm. that different groups of people have different sets of rules. Mm. There should be a a uniform set of laws for everybody. Exactly. Um, uh, Because the the people I feel for are the apostates, the people who don't want to live under Islamic law, but are deemed Muslims and are apostates and are um, under the death sentence Mm. if they say, well, actually, I don't like these laws and I don't want to be part of them. Mm -hmm. We're all in agreement on that one. Mm. The motivations may be sketchy. Uh, The motivations are entirely in question. What what they've actually arrived on is fine, but Mm. the motivations for it are I think it's it's a stopped clock, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It happens to be right twice a day. Mm. There we go. Got a fun clip here. This one, I will grab this one because I... Um, this was one where I bookmarked it and thought, I think this one will be good. But I never actually listened to it until this afternoon, and I was quite pleased with the ending. The ending on this is a cracker. So um, we're moving on to Trump now, and, you know, just it's, it's Teflon-coated for so many Republicans. Um, have a listen to this. What are your thoughts about the Trump indictment? Uh... It's probably garbage. Probably garbage? Yeah. Did you read it? No. Okay. And then what about the audio recording that got released? Probably garbage. You didn't listen to it? How would you know it's garbage if you don't even look into it? Some serious things are being uh, accused here. Like, tell me what it is. Mishandling and uh, classified documents. Uh Holding on to them when he wasn't supposed to have them. All right. Uh, violating a subpoena, lying to federal authorities, obstructing an investigation, and conspiring with other staffers to move around documents to keep federal authorities from getting them. Uh, sounds uh, sounds pretty serious, but <sighs> doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> <laughs> I love that last bit. <laughs> doesn't everybody I, do that? I, I, I look, I could be wrong with my memory, but. Um, when Boogie Board Girl got caught with the marijuana in Indonesia, mm. Dad was being interviewed about how, no, they weren't honestly a problem with the law. I mean, sure, he's got a few drink driving but uh, offences, but doesn't everybody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just remembering that interview. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's, yeah, doesn't everybody do that? Well, yeah. So, yeah. Isn't everybody a criminal? Yeah. So... Apparently um, so. Mm. Now, where are we at with the uh, with the Trump stuff? So, um, um, well, before we get onto that, we're going to talk about what the different cases are that he's facing. But just briefly, there was that ruling um, about how he had uh, lied as to the valuation of his properties, which enabled him then to get loans and get cheaper interest rates. And, um, uh, so a judge has come down with the extremely hefty penalty on that one. I don't think I've got it written down here for some oh, reason. $353 million. Enormous sum. And banned from being involved in companies and also his sons no, in, in so New York. They, yeah, they wanted to, but that mm. got overturned. He has uh, been supervised. 
Oh, okay. So the supervisor stays in place because there is a supervisor at the moment which annoys the heck out of him. So the supervisor looks at the uh, things that they're running and and, uh, keeps an eye on things. So um, uh, just re... So, yeah, so when it, when we're just looking at one with what does a Trump supporter think, well, you know, doesn't everybody do that? And in relation to this sort of property valuation fraud um, issue, I was just reading a, a tweet by this guy, Simon, somebody, who said, um, Judge Angoran is expected to rule against Trump any moment now for something really bizarre. He got the loans from the banks. He repaid them with interest. Nobody complained. Ahead of the presidential election, New York charged him with allegedly inflating his assets to get favourable loans. Going by that logic, most business people in America would be in prison. All business people claim they are worth more than they really are, and it's the job of the bank to verify any information before granting loans. For those who are celebrating this or are claiming that this is not politically motivated, ask yourself this question. How many top businessmen and women are in prison in in New York for getting loans and then paying back their loans in full – and with interest, paying all their taxes and the salaries of all their employees. If you find some, I'd like to interview them. So, you know, again, this will just be the reaction of a lot of Trump supporters. Um, It was a victimless paper-type crime. He paid his money. You're all picking on him. Yeah, I know that, but apparently uh, I saw something on Instagram, I think, where it said that um, what he actually claimed the valuation of Mar-a-Lago was $1.5 million. Mm. No, $1.5 billion, I think it was. Mm. And they then went and had a look at the tallest building in, what's the capital of um, the UAE? Dubai. Dubai? Yes. Yeah, Dubai. And they said this cost one point five billion dollars to build at the time so then they said who honestly believes that um mar-a-lago is worth 1.5 billion dollars compared to this building yeah i think a similar comparisons with buckingham palace and Mm. and just you know it had been valued on the basis that it was x number of square meters when in fact it was about you know a tenth of that size so yeah a whole bunch of things but yeah, I guess the thing is just the way people will find an excuse for anything that he does mm. if you have the motivated reasoning to do it. And the mm. smarter you are, the better reasons you'll come up with and the better yep. you'll be able to articulate them. So essentially he's got four cases that he's still dealing with, which is um, a federal case related to his efforts to retain power after the election and the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So charges have been filed, no trial date. There's um, a Georgia election case relating to um, Trump's efforts to reverse the election loss in Georgia. Again, charges filed, no court date. We've got the classified documents case. So this relates to the documents at Mar-a-Lago. In the toilet. Stored in the toilet, famously, as we saw. That one has a trial date set, and that is set for um, May 20th. So that's coming up. Bearing in mind the election is in November. 
So the classified documents case trial has been set for May election in November. And there's another one, which is the Manhattan hush money case relating to payments to cover up a sex scandal. I think that must be Stormy Daniels. I would have thought so, yeah. Mm. Again, trial date set, and that one is set for March. Coming up soon. Mm. So two trials set, two of them still not set, but at least we'll, yeah, see how those pan out for the Don. Mm. Any thoughts on Donald Trump in the election while I get some um, PowerPoint ready? Um, he could actually win it. You know, um, Joe Biden is far too old to be running, but anyway, he's running. It's one of those things, it looks like Joe Biden has been overcome with a sense of hubris and that sort of stuff, thinking that he's the only one that can defeat, defeat Donald Trump. Now, I would have had a hell of a lot more respect for him had he actually done what he originally said, which was he said that he's got to, um, that he's got to be the uh, bridging gap. You know, he was just going to bridge that gap between the next generation. Had he actually done that, I'd have a hell of a lot more respect for him. But the fact that he's sticking around for another tilt at it, mm. it's one of those things I just think to myself that the whole thing could come crashing down around him. I did see an article saying, comparing him to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Absolutely. And saying that she stuck around too long. When oh, she, she did that. stick around too long. And, you know, I loved mm. a hell of a lot of what she ruled and that sort of stuff, but bloody hell. You know, she's got to understand she's mortal. She's going to die at some point. And that she just stuck around and she died while Donald Trump was in office, so he was able to put in that Amy Coney Barrett bitch, you know. Yep. So uh, anyway, so that's Donald Trump. And, Joe, you came across something with uh, UK youth and a guy called John Byrne Murdoch? Yeah, he's the Financial Times data scientist. Mm. And I, I thought it was going to be very right-wing, and it wasn't. It was quite fascinating. Yeah. So talking about UK youth and their views of the world, and um, so he says, we often talk about an age divide in politics with young people much less conservative than the old. Um he says this is much more of a British phenomenon than a global one. 40% of young Americans voted for Trump, but only 10% of UK's under 30s support the Conservatives, and he's asking why. And there's a chart on the screen. The UK are on the left, and um, so the lower age groups in the 20 to 30s the support for Conservatives is way down at the 10% level, and it's a red line there if you're able to see it. In terms of the other countries, they have a much higher support at the 20 to 30 mark. And so, yes, based on that chart, the youth of the UK really hate the Conservatives much more than the youth in other countries such as the US, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Spain, or the Netherlands do. So... You know, the other countries, generally speaking, show people getting more conservative as they get older, but they don't have the complete abandonment of conservative people 
in that 20 to 30 year age group. So um, the next chart shows that this wasn't always the case. So same sort of data, but going back to 2015 and um, you see that the red line for opinion was much more in line with other countries. So this move in the 20 to 30-year age group in the UK against the Conservative Party has really happened in the last nine years. So um, so that was that one. Why would that be the case? And he's um, suggesting, well, one reason would be housing and young people are struggling to get onto the housing ladder in many countries but the crisis is especially deep in Britain. So there is a chart showing young adult home ownership rates collapsing in the UK, a much greater rate than in the US, Germany and France. So that could be a reason of disenchantment by people. Um, uh, So, and of course, the Tories have been in power. So the young people would be blaming the Tories for the fact that their home ownership has deteriorated because they've actually been in power during that time. Whereas in other countries, for example, uh, there might have been a mixture of left and right-wing governments during that time. Um, So he compares then with Canada and showing that the Canadian Tories have made huge gains with young adults. And he shows a chart um, pointing that out and really suggesting that that is possibly possibly off the back of some ambitious house-building proposals. So the Canadian Conservative Party has actually come up with different policies on house-building proposals, which might have meant that their young people are going to be more in favour with the Conservatives in Canada. And uh, it talks about incomes in the UK for young people being worse than incomes for young people in other countries. Um, British youth, uh, less faith in upward mobility compared to other countries. And... um, what else does he say? A couple of other factors. He says that um, it's often underappreciated how much faster and bigger the expansion of university education has been in the UK versus elsewhere. And today, considerably more Brits are graduates than young Americans. And if you're a graduate of a university, education is a big factor, of course, in whether you are left or right these days. And... Um, and, of course, incumbency. The Tories have been in power for 14 years and a lot of bad stuff has happened to the UK in that time and, therefore, they could be blamed for it because they've been the ones in power. Joe, as our man in the, on the ground in the UK, as our UK correspondent, did that match your sense on the ground or you just didn't meet any young people at all? No, no, I met lots of young people and they're certainly struggling to buy houses, I know that much. Hmm. Um, and certainly in the big cities, uh, house prices are ridiculous compared to income. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, I think um, the Conservatives, having been in power for the last 14 years, have basically cut the guts out of social services in order to deliver tax cuts to the better off. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of young people are feeling very aggrieved at the income disparity. Mm. Mm, as they should. Yeah. Um, now, Velvet Glove, you mentioned before about Trump winning and John in the chat room says, I still think there's a 50-50 chance that neither Trump or Biden will be healthy enough to see the election. I agree with you, John. Just have a feeling that... Um, Whichever one wins. Dead from a um, heart attack. Anything could happen, and one of these vice presidents could end up in power. Or, you know, um, who's the lady who's sort of staying in the running in the Republican race? Um, uh, Nikki, uh, uh, Nikki Haley. Haley. Nikki Haley? Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're a bit of a gambler, you'd think, look, I've got no chance of winning. But, gee, you know, surely there's a rough chance that the Trump will just keel over in the next six months. And if I'm the only one still in the race other than Trump, you know, then she you could gets get the, the inside running and mm. could, get the, could get the show. Like, that would be part of your thinking if you're someone like, like her, I would have thought, is think the guy could be dead within six months. It really wouldn't suddenly. surprise me. And um, if all the other candidates have dropped out of the race and you're the only one there, that you'd be... Not an awful lot of presidents have been vice presidents before. So mm. it's it's not an unusual career path to mm. want to be vice president. Mm. I mean, Joe Biden for a start. Yeah. You know, and then you've also got... Um, what's MTG? His... Sorry? Is it not Marjorie Taylor Greene? Yeah, but no, she's sorry. a nut. She's um, a nut. No, sorry, who's the Democrat? Okay, um, uh, uh, Alexandra Cotter, AOC, yes, yeah, mm. yeah. She's um, in the House of Representatives, isn't she? Don't know. Is she even old enough yet? AOC? Oh, I yeah. Tell she you. needs to be thirty-five, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. She might only just not quite be old enough, but uh, yeah. Anyway, not a bad strategy to to be in a hopeless position as um, second. Uh, and hope doing like a Steve Bradbury where the leader falls over and you just coast through to the finish line because you're the only one left standing. Well, that could actually happen. Yeah. You know, it could actually happen and that's going to make Biden look ridiculously old compared to his much younger op- opposition yeah. person. And it could happen and on a, the other and side. And a non-Trump and a non-Trump person. Mm. You know, it's one of those things. I think the Democrats have really made them made a very big mistake by sticking with Joe. Mm. And, you know, he could keel over at any time. And, or he could uh, drop it at any time, yeah. Yeah, so n- maybe not a bad idea running against him. Um, yeah. So that you've got some profile and if he, you know, you could uh, do a Bradbury on that side of politics. Anyway, we'll see. Nothing would surprise. Finally, last topic. Um, saw this article on the ABC Online News Analysts say Australia is asleep at the wheel as China ramps up its presence in Antarctica. Analysts say Australia is asleep at the wheel. And um, so you need to hear just the wording used in this article. Dear listener, essentially 
China's building some research stations on Antarctica. But um, here's what, how the article opens. <laughs> when China and the ABC, it's not like the Australian or the Courier Mail, when China opened its fifth research station in Antarctica this month, analysts sounded alarm bells about potential security threats on Australia's southern doorstep. Experts warned that China's expanding activity in Antarctica, combined with Australia's inaction and lack of funding, could lead to Beijing's increased strategic presence in the frozen continent. The new Quinling base could also improve China's surveillance capabilities and give it more control over transport routes to exploit resources, they say. That's the opening three paragraphs. Mm. Then we get, however, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson insisted the new station would be used to, quote, provide a platform for joint scientific exploration and cooperation between China and other countries and help advance peace and sustainable development in the region, end quote. So... The first three paragraphs are, ooh, boogeyman. Fourth paragraph is, however, China says, nothing to see. And then we get, uh, who are these experts and analysts? Then we get Elizabeth Buchanan from the Australian National University's National Security College. She said that said the Chinese government had a remarkable ability to plan for the long term, quote, so they may not be looking to utilise this research station for anything other than collaborative international research for the next 20 years, Dr Buchanan said. And then, all of a sudden, it's a staging platform to strike, to facilitate war, if that day ever came. So what? They reckon that you're going to sail the armada from the, southern, from the Antarctic, do they? It's... It's like an admission by her to say, well, it might be a research station at the moment, but those sneaky Chinese give them another 20 years and it's a staging platform to strike. Goes on. She I goes on. Ridiculous. China's positioning on Quinling is covering another part of the Antarctic quadrant of the landmass. Presence is power. Another location means better for launching satellites. Yeah, I thought you'd launch satellites from the equation. Not from the <laughs> yeah, exactly. At this point, I think <laughs> I then went, who is Elizabeth Buchanan? What is the Australian National University's National Security College? And it turns out that the National Security College is, is a college within the ANU basically designed for people in defence and security to go and get qualifications. And so it's just full of defence types and it's funded by the government, which I assume means the Defence Department. So um, so that's what we're getting when the headline says, analysts say Australia is asleep at the wheel, is we're getting this... Defence funded, I assume it's defence funded, um, department with ANU that is predisposed to, to gathering a whole bunch of defence people and giving them qualifications. Actually, what, um, let me find this. Kevin Rudd actually launched the institution back in 2010 
and he said it was to provide postgraduate level national security courses to government personnel and the public. And uh, it aimed to enhance Australia's defence capability through a range of academic, executive and professional development courses. And um, courses would be led by ANU academics as well as external practitioners and think tanks, providing leadership programs and collaborative opportunities for senior national security officials. Just imagine that group if you were to go in there and say, well, you know, it's just a research station, nothing to worry about. Probably not the crowd who's going to like that. And if you were to beef it up as something that required attention from our defence force, you'd probably find that that's more attractive to that crowd. I, so, I thought um, the Antarctic Division were quite interesting, basically saying, well, yes, we are underfunding our Antarctic Division because all scientists always need more funding. Yes, so a bit later on the article, let me go back to it here. Um, so, so after all that sort of boogeyman stuff from um, from Elizabeth Buchanan of the ANU, the article then goes on to say that there is the Drake Passage, which is the body of water between South America and a Chinese. Great Wall sort of research station in Antarctica and basically says that because of problems with the Suez and Panama Canal with water levels, ships might you know, be increasing shipping trade going around that part of the world. Buchanan says China had spent 10 years building infrastructure in Chile and parts of Argentina which had given it the ability to control the passage they could cut off the Drake Passage in all sorts of ways, she said. They, China, could make that passage difficult to pass and control shipping or by having more boats to be able to monitor and block the passage with their own boats. She goes on. No, but then, sorry, what you were about to say, Joe, was that the former head of Australian Antarctic Division, Tony Press, who I think is just a science guy, he says... He does not believe the new Quinling base will pose an increased surveillance risk because China already has surveillance operations in other parts of the world. He says China's construction of the station met the fundamental obligations of the Antarctic Treaty for peaceful use and non-militarisation as per Australia's inspection of the station in 2020. And he said what was alarming was Australia's underinvestment in Antarctica for science and logistic capabilities. And... Um, there's more to it. but Yeah, they oh. said, basically, we don't have the ability to go and inspect stations in the middle of winter. Mm. And if you were really serious about this, you'd give us some capabilities so that we could do a sneak inspection on China's stations in the middle of winter. Yeah. Mm. It's just such a beat-up. And this is by the ABC. And, and just people could read this stuff and go, oh, goddamn Chinese again. You know... We end up in a fucking war with China. It's because of articles like this that just add to the beating of the drums because they've just built a goddamn research station in Antarctica. And I find it incredibly frustrating and I would expect that sort of shit from a shit rag of the Murdoch Empire and we get it from the ABC. And, okay, they, 
In the middle of the article, they'll throw in some alternative view from the researcher, but just the whole idea of the article is one of China bashing over a threat, quoting um, people whose motivations are that they are part of the established defense, wider defence force family. And, of course, they're going to beat up threats because... Um, or funding for them. Exactly. There we go. I found that one very frustrating. It sounds like you guys did too. It wasn't just me. It's one of those things, I, I, you know, I read it with an open mind and all that sort of stuff. By the time I got down to where the woman was talking and that sort of stuff, I thought to myself, she's on something. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought to myself, she's been smoking too much wacky tobacco. Mm. But it's... <sighs> You know, when you look at the original map and that sort of stuff, you've got three stations with the Australian flag on it, one, two, three, four, five stations with the Chinese flag on it. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, if you look at that, and you think the Chinese are taking over. Well, they're not. They're just expanding their research facilities down there. At this point, yes. You know, and if it came to them actually militarising the Quinling station, which I don't think they would, but yeah. if they did then the Australians would retreat from that and that sort of stuff. So then they'd be left that they'd be then left with a position of we would have to send our own military down there to liquidate the Quinling station. You know, you know? but if it's any other country putting Reese, you know, America, any other Western it liberal be, democracy talked about, no. Then they'd be going, isn't that great? Wonder what they'll discover in that icy environment and what great new things will come of it. But no it's all a threat to Western civilization because the Chinese have done it, for goodness sake. It's just mm. pathetic. So um, let me see. Um, I mentioned we are going to go through the chat and see what people have said. There were hellos from Watley and Don and Essential uh, and John, who says he's grateful that he lasted another day. And... Um, John says whether he was murdered or not is immaterial. We believe he was murdered. That's talking about Navalny. Navalny so, yes, that would be true. doesn't matter. It's the perception. Um, so, yes, I haven't seen Jonathan Pye, and John says YouTube will unsubscribe you from things occasionally. That might be what's happened. Alison was there. Good on you, Alison. Um, let's see. Um, um, maybe if Sweden had granted. John says maybe if Sweden had guaranteed not to extradite, we may have seen a resolution to the charges. That's true. Well, that's um, probably true, but you know, it's just one of those things. He did go into that. He did go into that um, embassy fairly mm. early on when it was only the rape case and everything that was being brought against him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... I, I, I did read the book um, on Julian Assange and I, I should reread it or at least read my notes on it. I've so, been reading bits of it. Have, yeah. So um, I'll do that before the next episode because obviously we're going to hear more about him. So we'll do that because Alison asks, was he even charged though by long, Sweden? Long story short, he grew up as a child of DV being stalked by his stepfather. Mm. And there is a concern, there is a suspicion that he has 
a paranoia that has come from that. And so he was paranoid even before. Um, so when he was effectively charged, I think he had to be charged to be extradited. Um, mm. So he was paranoid about being extradited onwards to the US, which he mm. didn't want to be. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of questions about his sanity prior to all of this. Yeah. I think a uh, good topic for next week. A bit of a review mm -hmm. on Julian Assange. If you've I think been he, always, mm. he has always looked just a little unhinged. Mm. Because yeah. I, remember, I remember arguing with the 12th man because the 12th man was talking about people whose lives had been lost or damaged or injured as a result of the leaking of the material by WikiLeaks. And um, the US Department of something or other in one of the trials... Um, basically admitted that nobody was actually injured as a result of WikiLeaks. So there were just facts like that that people need to know. So that's what we'll do. Refresh ourselves on Julian Assange, ready for next week. So, and have something positive, something to be grateful for, big or small, for next week, gentlemen. Okay. Remember? This uh, is my last podcast, hopefully, with uh, glasses. So... Why? What are you my, doing? You're going I'm in for having, laser surgery. Are I'm you? getting intraocular lenses inserted right. on Wednesday and Thursday. And so next week you'll be blind. Could be. Could be. <laughs> yeah. how long you, Thanks, Joe. How long, how long are you the invisible man? So apparently, so one eye gets done on Wednesday, the other eye oh. on Thursday, and apparently I'm able to drive on Friday. Fair they right. reckon. Yeah. So... I'm really keen that I can see distance and keep playing squash and see the ball well without glasses would be great. Uh, wouldn't worry me if I need slight reading glasses at the end of it. So, but we'll see how that pans out. So if it's not a perfect, maybe actually, and it will take a while to settle down. So maybe next week I might need some light glasses because it takes a while to settle down. But anyway, that will be interesting. You've been dared to read out the discussion about bears. I didn't understand it. Did you understand it? Yes. I, 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 it was a discussion between a couple and that sort of stuff. They're saying, won't somebody think about the polar bears? And then it was a discussion about whether or not polar bears were in the Antarctic or whether they were in the Arctic. Uh, and then yes. someone said, well, they could be dressed up as penguins. And uh, that's it. At that point, I just... That's right, because there, there are no bears in Antarctica. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But there are penguins, aren't there? Yeah, there penguins. are shitload of penguins. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Right, well, you've had fun in the chat room. That's good. I uh, hope you've had fun listening. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then. Bye for now. Yeah, and it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night. <laughs>